Well, good morning. I uh, give you welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome all who are worshiping here in this sanctuary and those who are joining us by live stream as well. It is good to be to, together with the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who brings us all together. Uh, let me call your attention just to a couple announcements. Uh, one is, um, well, this Thursday is Christmas Eve. We'll be having two Christmas Eve services, one at 2.30, uh, that's with mask, and then at 6 o'clock, mask optional. If you're wanting to come to one of them, um, you'll need to call in, get tickets. Just call in tomorrow, and we'll be glad to get tickets to you. Someone just returned six tickets to the 6 p.m., I believe. Was it the 6 p.m.? No, to 2.30 p.m. So we got six more for, for that. Uh, so just uh, let us know. And the next Sunday is the 27th. I've asked Gail Prince to, to come worship with us so we can recognize her, I think, for 16 years here on staff. Uh, she'll be retiring on the 30th, so, and she'll be here at the 11 o'clock service. Um, by the way, the 6 p.m., um, Christmas Eve service will be live streamed if you will let folks know as well. Now, um, you are wondering, why do we have a lineup of handsome men in the church there against the wall? They are uh, volunteers from Sheds of Hope and will be uh, doing the Advent candle for us. The scripture is Matthew 12, verses 18 to 21. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, the hope of Jew and Gentile, the hope of all the world. May we be faithful servants spreading the hope that Jesus gives. In Jesus' name, amen.
to thank uh, Olivia Belfay for preparing us appropriately for our worship. I was telling her in the earlier service, you, you picked the perfect selection because we're going to sing. You can't listen to that without wanting to sing or come all ye faithful. So you'll get your opportunity. Now for our call to worship, let me read from uh, Matthew 2, verse 11, speaking of the wise men. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, great God, we have come for that very purpose, to worship. Uh, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ, to worship God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for God the Holy Spirit and to be upon us, to anoint us, bless us, that in our worship we might be a blessing to our great God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
may be seated. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, we give you praise as the one who dwells in heaven, seated on your throne in a great throne room. And all about you are uh, the multitude of angels and the saints who have gone before us. What a privilege, what a joy it is to come into this sanctuary. We who are few, and those who are online in their homes, and joining in in that worship in that great throne room. And we may do so because our God who dwelt in heaven, God the Father sent God the Son to dwell on this earth. To take on our very flesh and in that flesh to make atonement for our sins. A tomb win us unto you. And indeed, by his work, by your Holy Spirit, who has given us faith, cause us to be adopted as your children. We now are your sons and daughters and may worship you. And we give you praise for this great gift that we celebrate in this season. And we thank you for the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ himself, gave of himself, and for whom? Your word has told us he's given himself for sinners, given himself for your enemies. What a wondrous gift this is. What is a wondrous thing that it has achieved in making us who were far away, we who were not a people to become your people, we who had no claim on you to be made now your very children. We may speak to you, worship you as our very Father. What a wondrous gift that this is. We pray, our Father, that we will honor you this day, honor you in our worship, honor you in the way that we live, that we speak and treat our neighbors. We pray for the kingdom to come, for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may be found faithful even now serving that kingdom, doing your will. Give to us today our daily bread. We pray for you to feed us with the bread of your word, the bread from, of worship. We pray that uh, you would provide for us literally the food that we need on our tables, the medical care that we need. Provide us with the, the love that we need uh, from friends, from family. Provide us with, with all that is needed, not only to to survive, to get by in this world, but to thrive and to uh, serve you in such a way that you are honored in this world by the way that we live for you. We pray, our Father, for those who, in this season in which we uh, often come together as families, yet will not be able to do that. We pray for them. We uplift our brothers and our sisters, of which this is can actually be a painful time. We pray all the more for your spirit to be upon them, to grant comfort and encouragement. We pray, our Father, for you to forgive our debts, our sins, 
Cause us to be people who easily forgive as you have forgiven our debts that we forgive the, the hurts, uh, the pains of our past and even that are being caused in this present. That we not hold on to resentment, hold on to bitterness, hold on to pain, uh, but that we would be like our Father who is merciful to others. We pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but all the more to protect us. You know our weaknesses. We call upon you to deliver us from the evil one. We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen.
seated. I was mentioning at the um, the earlier service. You know, each Sunday, I, you know, I just give the thanks to the Lord that we have such a talent as Amy uh, Reber. I mean, I just think, how did we get her? And I, I thank the Lord for her. And um, and I need to mention, you know, you know, she's the one who put together the the cantatum as well, of course, uh, producing it. But um, and, and her intent was she wanted to present a more reflective. Um, cantata that people would go out really reflecting more, you know, the meaning of Christmas, what the Lord has done. And, and I, I had someone come out as if you had given them the script, just saying, you know, this was just so much reflective. I, I really got more out of this than any other has. So what you were working towards, you achieved. And now, uh, in the last, I don't know how long Lynn has been here, about three or four years, I just thank the Lord that he has brought us such a talent as, as Lynn. I mean, that's just, where's Lynn? Where are you? Oh, there you are. There you are. I mean, I'm just listening to a flute on Christmas. I mean, that, that's wonderful. And thank you for blessing us. Well, if you will now turn to your Bibles or to the bulletin insert that contains the scripture, uh, we're going to be first, we're going to be looking at several passages in Matthew 1. And Matthew 2. Let me uh, ask a question. Who do you want to have by your side when life gets difficult? I mean, really tough. Uh, You need shelter. You need protection. You need provision. Who do you want? Well, I tell you, I want a man like Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. You're going to see he had all the traits for doing what is what is right, what is necessary, for doing it in the right way. And we're going to look at those traits this morning, as well as the faith that made him really the perfect earthly father for our Lord. So look with me. We're going to start off in Matthew 1 and verses 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save their people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
And we're going to look at several traits of Joseph that are revealed just in this one passage alone. And the first thing is what was said about him, the very first thing, that he was a, a just man. Or another way you could translate that, that same word is righteous. And what that meant for a Jew was that he consciously lived by the law. He sought what to do, what is right, before the law, according, before the Lord, according to Scripture. Now, he was not a Pharisee, meaning that he was not part of a particular religious sect, not that we know of. Uh, he did not hold any kind of religious title. He's just an ordinary carpenter, what today we would call him a contractor. And so this character, identifying him as being righteous, is just about who he is as a person. It speaks to his personal life and to his professional, his public life. So he is just. The second thing we learn is that he is merciful. It would have been in keeping with him being a righteous man to publicly expose Mary to shame. It would indeed been in keeping with a sense of betrayal that he undoubtedly would have felt. Uh, no one would have blamed him for this. In fact, this would have been considered the proper thing to do. As a just person, he must divorce, in those days, to break off an engagement. You actually divorce uh, the other person. He had to divorce Mary. To wed her would be in that culture and context. It would have been for him to publicly condone what was a perceived sin And that is something that a righteous person cannot do. And so to wed her, to marry her, is just out of the question. And yet as a merciful person, he is thinking what best serves Mary's welfare. Now this concern for Mary, it's it's all the more notable when you think about it, given that her perceived sin is going to reflect on him. Okay, they live in a small town, just a few hundred people. Okay. His neighbors, the whole town, is going to think one of two things. One, more likely, they're going to think he's guilty of making her pregnant. Or if not that, then they're going to at least think he's been made a fool of. Okay. So to get out of that, public denunciation is the best route for him to clear his own name. It's also the best route of vengeance against the one who will be soon be made public, who has wronged him, betrayed him. But it's mercy, mercy rather than vengeance that is guiding his actions. So he is, Joseph is just, he is merciful, he is thoughtful. He's thoughtful in the sense of someone who's carefully considering what to do, his actions. He's not acting impulsively. He's not acting out of anger. He's taking time, as this text tells us, to consider what to do, even giving it, evidently, a night's sleep. He's not acting um, rashly, not out of emotion. He is what Proverbs would describe as a prudent man. So Proverbs 14, 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent 
is to discern his way. He's taking that time to think through what is right before the Lord. So he is just, he is merciful, he is thoughtful or prudent. The next thing we're going to learn is that he's a man of active responsibility. Okay, now once the angel appears to him, gives him explanation of what's actually taking place, gives him a command or instruction, there is no reference to Joseph still considering what to do now. He acts, okay? Now, that revelation is not going to change the consequences. Joseph now will have to take on Mary's shame. Now, again, either the the neighbors are going to accuse him, are going to think that he's the one who's guilty, or now, even if they don't, that he would now wed a publicly shamed fallen woman. Well, then he's just ruining his own reputation. A just, righteous man would not do that. Even so, that shame he is going to bear. And it doesn't appear, again from our text, to have been a a matter of any consideration. All he needed to know was the right thing to do before the Lord. And once that is determined, Joseph acts. Now, our next passage takes us to a new scene. It's chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. The wise men have come. They brought these marvelous gifts, and they have also brought with them immediate danger. Look with me, 13 to 15. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So the fifth trait here that Joseph exhibits is a person who is he's ready. He is ready and prepared for action. You know, this family's flight is no small undertaking. It happens immediately under the cloak of darkness. They have probably been living in Bethlehem now probably around 18 to 24 months. And no doubt Joseph has settled his family in a home. He's probably set up his carpentry business And now immediately, he must uproot his family. And furthermore, he's taking them away under dangerous circumstances. The most powerful, dangerous man in the country is trying to kill his son. Now just imagine the anxiety that Joseph must be undergoing. But instead of it paralyzing him, it proves him all the more capable of taking that necessary flight, settling them into a foreign country. It does, again, it doesn't paralyze him. It moves him to immediate action. All right, let's go on to our next passage, verses 19 to 23. 
But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life were dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So let's see, let's recount so much what we've learned of Joseph. He's a, he's a man who is just, that is righteous, a man who is merciful. He is a man of uh, Thoughtfulness, or in other words, is prudent. He is a man who uh, is actively responsible, takes on what is given to him. He is a man who is, what did I have, ready, prepared to take the action immediately when he's called upon to do it. His sixth trait that comes out here is his resourcefulness. There are two dreams that lead Joseph. He's got to return to Israel, but he cannot go back to, to Bethlehem. There's still danger there. He's got to go further north now, up to the district of Galilee, actually back to his hometown, his and Mary's hometown of Nazareth. And we know that he's going to uh, settle his family back there. He's going to raise a large family and continue his work as a carpenter. We know all this in through Matthew 13. Uh, It speaks of Jesus returning to Nazareth as an adult, part of his ministry. And here's what the neighbors say about him. This is where we learn that Joseph is a carpenter, by the way. Is, Is not this a carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Apparently, there's a large family here. So Joseph, he was never left without resources to fall back on. And what I mean by that is this is resources that he had just of his own ability to figure out where to go, what to do. Now, he may have been given some instructions, but it's left to him. He's got to figure out the details of where to go, how to do all these things. And he succeeds in every challenge thrown his way. So this is our man Joseph. You know, I I tell you, I never thought too much about Joseph. But preparing this, I mean, as I'm just reading this and, and, and just contemplating on this, I mean, this man just keeps getting higher and higher and higher on my admiration list. And what we're going to do is what we've done before in the previous two messages. We're going to take Joseph and we're going to insert him into chapter 11 of Hebrews. Remember, we're going through the book of Hebrews and we're in that great chapter of faith, of this kind of hall of fame of men and women of faith. What would our author have to say about the faith of Joseph? Well, one thing he could do is he could place Joseph right there at the very beginning When he talks about what faith is, it is believing in what cannot be seen. Well, this is Joseph. He awakes from a dream. 
And yet he believes the angel's message that the baby in her womb came not from men, but from the Holy Spirit. I mean, you contrast him with, uh, with Zechariah, the priest. Now, Zechariah is visited by an angel while he's there in the temple performing his duties. There's no dream. And the message is to Zechariah that his wife is going to become pregnant. Okay, now she's old, but it's still going to be by natural means. And he's saying, well, you know, how can I really know this? Well, you don't have that of Joseph. You know, and think about this. It's not only the idea of Mary's miraculous conception that would have just stretched Joseph's mind. It's that comment about the Holy Spirit. Only three times is the term, the full term Holy Spirit, used in the Old Testament. Joseph would not be very familiar at all with the Well, I mean, you would know about the Spirit of God, but he knows nothing about the Trinity. No concept at all of a third person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. And yet, he receives us. And he believes what he could not see, and furthermore, what he could not even understand. He believed, he accepted it. Another place that our author could put Uh, Joseph with, he could have put him with with Noah. Remember what the author says about Noah. It's in Hebrews 11, 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He could have said this of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, being warned by God concerning events yet to happen, and reverent fear took his family to Egypt for the saving of his household. And I would add this with with Joseph, licking him with Noah. He was willing, as Noah had to have been as well, to have been considered a fool by his neighbors. Here he's going to be showing that he believed Mary, you know, that this, he's conceived by some, this Holy Spirit. And he's willing to believe this because he cares more about commendation by God than by man. And so his faith led to action, even to unpopular action. Now, here's another place that he could have placed Joseph. He could have placed him with, paired him with Abraham. In that, like Abraham, he left for another country at the command of God. By faith, for that matter, he also returned. And though the future is unclear to him, each time he trusts God, trusts to protect him, trusts to provide for him and his family. Or you could place him in one more group. If you come next Sunday, you can find out about that group. That's going to be the the group in chapter 11 whose their faith caused them to be courageous. And he could have said, by faith, Joseph, willing to take on that burden. What burden? Shame? Hardship? Danger? Because he believed that it is best to believe and to obey God because he believed that this unborn baby, and then this 
this toddler was the promised Messiah because of that faith. He was willing to be courageous and do what was necessary. I mean, Joseph, this is a man of great faith. So what then can we learn from Joseph? Well, a number of things. When I was first working on this, what I was first of all intrigued about by Joseph is his balance of being a just and a merciful man. That's difficult to do. I mean, we tend to, to separate those two traits into two kind of two categories that really don't overlap. I mean, we'll point out a person as being a really morally upright person. Typically, we don't classify them as being merciful and vice versa. But we, we tend to think the, the more upright a person is, the less merciful they will be. The more merciful they are, the more lax they probably are about what is the right thing to do. But Joseph, he is just and he is merciful. He holds high God's law while also possessing a heart of mercy. You know what? His son, years later, Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees about You know, I have no doubt that Jesus would have commended his, I guess, his stepfather for possessing. Let me read it to you. It's from Matthew 23, verse 23. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you tithe, met, and deal in common, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What Jesus is complaining about, about these Pharisees and the scribes, is then you're so concerned about being, you know, sticklers, about following the law, that you have forgotten what the law is really about. Well, Joseph was not that way. He's a just, a righteous man, cares about being morally right, but he is also merciful. He is one who observed justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And so we have to ask ourselves, do we do the same? Do we, in this day and age, do we uphold the morals of our faith while also practicing mercy? And think about it today. Is there anything more needed to being merciful while upholding the moral law. Now, it's a hard balancing act. But again, think about this. If it's done well, can you think of a more powerful force that we have as Christians in witnessing for our Lord? So this balance of of being morally upright and of being merciful, that's something that we can learn from Joseph. Now, another thing that Joseph teaches us is how by faith to have that willingness to be regarded a fool for Christ. Now, we're in the Christmas season, and the world enjoys the Christmas season. They love the Christmas stories, the Christmas carols. But at the same time, they increasingly regard believers in the true Christmas story as as fools. Okay? Born of a virgin, 
Only a fool would believe such a fairy tale in this scientific age. God become man? It's further foolishness. I mean, what do you got? You got these wise men from the east. You have angels in the sky. You, I mean, that's the stuff of myth, of folk legend. Only a fool would actually believe these things to be real. Well, are we willing, like Joseph had to have been, to be regarded a fool for believing in a virgin conception, for believing in a tale of God taking on flesh in the womb of a peasant girl? I'm sure we've all seen the bumper sticker. Maybe you even have this bumper sticker. Wise men still seek him? Well, our unbelieving neighbors think this. Fools still think that they have found him. Well, Joseph cared more for how God regarded him than his neighbors did. Will we have that same courage, that same devotion to our Lord? Now, here's another lesson. Are we willing to bravely face whatever circumstance is given to us? Now, again, you think about what all Joseph was given. He didn't sign up for any of this stuff, by the way. But by faith, he took responsibility for what he did not cause. Joseph had nothing to do with Mary's pregnancy, but still he wedded her. And thereby he took her shame upon himself. And doesn't that sound like his son taking someone else's shame upon himself? And he had nothing to do with the danger incurred by the wise men. It's they who notified Herod that Herod had a rival. But still, he faces the danger resourcefully, uprooting his own life and the life of his family. And his response to trials evidently is not, why me? We don't have any record of him saying that. Instead, he took on whatever was given to him. And he justly, he mercifully, he resourcefully met each situation given to him. He protected first his wife, then his son. He provided for them. He sheltered them. He carried them, took them wherever they needed to be. Are we like that? We do not recite our troubles. What we do is we faithfully take each trouble, each trial that comes our way, we take it head on. And in a way that honors our Lord, in a way that serves the interests of those whom God has given to us to care for. We do not bemoan our lot, nor do we look for praise. Whoever thinks about Joseph? You ever spent time thinking about Joseph and giving praise for him? But what matters to us is being just, uh, is doing what is right before the Lord. What matters to us is showing mercy and, and meeting the needs as they rise. You know, I, as I was preparing this, we had a, a deacon's meeting, and, and I told the deacons, this guy, this is the perfect deacon, you know. He's also the perfect, he's the perfect husband. He's the perfect father. Can you think of a better father for our Lord Jesus? And I tell you, I certainly, and I'd love to have him 
for my next-door neighbor. And there's one other lesson I want to note here. By faith, Joseph demonstrated the faithful life of obedience. He obeyed the angel of each dream. He obeyed God. You know, what do we all dream about doing? We all dream about doing something great for God, don't we? Well, what we're being taught here is that what matters is to obey God in whatever he gives us to do. And God always gives us the opportunity every day to live in accordance with his moral code. And he gives us more opportunities than we open our eyes to 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 be merciful. But there's going to, there will come a time, go back to Joseph for a moment, it's going to come a time for him to do this great work of protecting, caring for the Son of God, okay? But before then, what do we know? That he was already, had already earned a reputation of being just and of being merciful. You know, a good name, we're told in Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And the good name the Proverbs is referring to is that which you earn by dealing with people justly and mercifully. Do you have such a good name? Have you earned it? Have you earned it in the workplace? Have you earned it at school? Have you earned it in your community? Do those who differ with you religiously, do those who differ with you politically, commend you for your, your fair dealings, for the way that you treat them so graciously? Do they respect the way they, they've been watching you and they, they see how you take your hardships on uncomplainingly? Do they see how your faith honors the God that you say you believe in and that you profess to obey? You know, after, again, looking at all these things on Joseph, I, I, you know, Joseph, you want to have a patron saint. Joseph can be our patron saint. He is the common man, the common person. He's not a prophet like Simeon or Anna. He's not a magi. He's an ordinary neighbor who is going about his ordinary life and yet doing so justly, mercifully, and resourcefully. It takes extraordinary faith to live such a faithful, ordinary life. Our God, we give you thanks. God the Father, we thank you for giving your Son such a great, faithful, earthly Father. And may he be an example uh, to each of us here. We cannot be the Father. We cannot uh, raise Jesus Christ, but he is our brother. And may we be those who honor our, our brother by the way that we live, by the faith we show. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. God rest you, Mary, gentlemen.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.